0: Welcome to the Burnout Recovery Podcast, a guiding resource dedicated to healthcare professionals on their journey to overcoming burnout, spearheaded by Dr. Joe Braid, a certified professional coach and rehabilitation physician. This podcast offers practical strategies through expert interviews and personal resilience stories, providing invaluable tools for navigating professional challenges while prioritizing well-being. Regardless of your role in healthcare, this podcast acknowledges the toll of your work on your overall health and is committed to supporting your recovery from burnout and fostering a fulfilling sustainable career. So, if you're ready to begin a transformative journey, join us for each new episode. Together, we'll navigate challenges, celebrate successes, and build a supportive community of healthcare professionals.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Burnout Recovery Podcast. I am delighted to have as a guest on the podcast today, Dr. Adam Harrison. Hi there, Adam.
2: Hi, Joe. Thanks thanks so much for having me. Um, It's a real honor. I'm so chuffed.
1: (laughs) Absolutely delighted to have you here. And Adam's actually based in Nottingham in the UK, which some of you will be aware, that's where I went through medical school. And Adam is... He's got a range of titles, which is really inspiring for anybody thinking about a portfolio career. He's an international executive and leadership coach and organizational trainer. He's a wellbeing expert, a medical doctor, a barrister at law and a podcaster himself. So, so great to have you on the podcast today, Adam. Oh, Cheers. Thanks
2: so much, Joe.
1: I'm sure there's a bit more to your story. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, please.
2: (laughs) It's uh, it's quite circuitous, but uh, here we go. Um, Well, I think primarily I'm a, I'm a family person. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a husband. My wife's a, a consultant, actually the facial surgeon. Um, I'm, a, I'm a father. Um, we have two daughters um, together. They're seven and 10. Um, and yeah, by by trade, if you like, I'm a doctor. Um, originally wanted to be a forensic pathologist. Um, that kind of didn't work out for, for various reasons. So I went down the surgical route, did my basic surgical training for a few years, um, and then decided it wasn't it was you know the long-term outlook wasn't really for me Um so kind of segued into general practice um, which I, I did I did for a few years but I'd always been very interested in um, medical legal issues and uh, I'd worked with a couple of consultants who did a lot of expert witness work and they would regale mm. us with interesting anecdotes um, and I was like, oh yeah that, that sounds great so I, I kind of I think I always had that itch to scratch from when I was a house officer, really. So I applied to work mm-hmm. um, with the Medical Defense Union, so one of the um, MDOs over here in the UK. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I started working uh, as a medical legal advisor for them. Um, so they take people who are medically trained and put them through a sort of intensive course for about nine or ten weeks, and then you're kind of up and running to give you know basic advice. Um, but when it gets really interesting, you have to hand it over to legal. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm a bit of a completed finisher like most doctors. Um, and I was like, oh, I want to be doing that bit. Um, I want to be sitting side of the fence and finishing things off rather than handing them on. So, you know, in my yeah. infinite wisdom, decided uh, the uh, in my mid to late 30s to go off to law school and um, do my law conversion and, and converted that into a law degree, went through bar school, trained to be a barrister um that kind of coincided with my um uh, when I was called to the bar my firstborn was about one um and Mm -hmm. my wife was just coming off her mat leave and going back to her registrar training in in max facts yep so um Mm -hmm. you know me kind of being a pupil barrister and her being a registrar was just not you know it was not going to work with a with a one-year-old um so I just sort of said to her look you know you're the one who's you know, she's done dentistry, she's done medicine, she's done all, you know, her surgical exams and the RDR. I was like, look, you you carry on. You're on a, a very clear um, career trajectory to, to consultant. Mm. Um, so, you know, you do that. And uh, I'm just starting out on this journey in the law, you know. So it seems a bit kind of churlish for me to, um, you know, trump um, your career, if you like um hmm. so I'll, I'll figure it out you know everything is outable. um that's that's mm-hmm. not my term yep. by the way I've, I've some I borrow that from someone <laughs> I can't remember who I heard it from now but
1: Mary Folio. <laughs> yeah
2: everything yep. everything is outable. Mm-hmm. um so yeah then I just kind of like started uh pitching myself really I suppose this was the time when I discovered you um you, know, you mentioned portfolio um careers before um you know this was the time when I discovered how to sell myself and how to be opportunistic and speculative and put myself out there you know Um, Mm. and so I reached out to some various local medical organizations and said you know I'm here I'm around I've I've got I'm dual qualified I've got law degree as well can I do anything for you can I do any advisory or consultancy work for you and uh, I was very fortunate that I was picked up by my local medical committee they co-opted me onto the committee and then that it led to me eventually becoming um, elected to the board. Um, so, as a director of the local medical committee, and then I became vice chair. Um, and not long after, um, NHS England um, offered me a job as an assistant medical director, specializing in um, kind of naughty, slash, um, less than competent doctors and dentists in the area, um, mm. and working yeah, on the regulatory right. and discipline side of that with them. Um, and then I became the medical director for my local urgent treatment center. So it kind of, my, you know, law uh, qualification inadvertently led me down the medical leadership route. Um, yeah. The whole while I was still doing some clinical work, I was doing some out of hours, I had medical students while I was doing out of hours, I had GP registrars that I was supervising. So I've always kind of kept up that um, educator side of things as well. Um, mm. so yeah, but when I worked for NHS England, um, as an assistant medical director, I, I received some leadership coaching and I had mm-hmm. six sessions of leadership coaching. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of just loved it. So, so, so I can't, I, I can't tell you, you know, I know it's, um, you know, somewhat, um, cheesy. Um, but for me, it really was transformative. You know, it was the... I, <laughs> you know, first time in my life I was, um, how old was I now? It was 2018. Oh my gosh. So I was kind of 42 going on 43. First time in my life that I'd actually sat down and thought about what my values were, you Mm. know, absolutely. So
1: let's get clear on this, Adam. (laughs) This is like, you got into this more leadership senior role. Did you go out then to seek a coach or were you offered six sessions of coaching because you were in this leadership role?
2: Yeah, well a <laughs> uh, li- little bit of a of a tale there but um I was I was coming to the end of my it was a, a sort of fixed term thing they kept me they kept me on beyond the the 12 months I think I was at the 20 month stage and then they advertised um for the substantive role um and no. I um didn't get it there was a little bit of a brouhaha. anyone that's ever kind of worked for NHS England will know nothing is straightforward they don't usually play things by the book when they really should do Mm -hmm. and uh i agreed to kind of depart uh but i said i want some coaching um and Ah, so i kind kind of twisted their arm um and i got i got six sessions of leadership coaching with a fantastic um coach called dr fiona day who's a public health consultant in here in the uk and um great yeah so um but as you know as, as i said it was just like for me it was an epiphany to mm. just even the values piece, you know, just to kind of put words, and I'm, I'm not a fan of labels. I don't like to label, you know, patients with diagnoses and things like that, but but for me to put mm-hmm. words on, you know, my essentially aspects of my moral compass that, yes. you know, mm. we all have that, you know, kind of, you know attract us towards situations or kind of you know repel us and kind of trigger us and warn us about situations you know something something kind of you get that feeling in the in the pit of your stomach you know but you don't always have a word to put on it you know um mm. and you know one of mine was justice and it was just like oh my goodness this you know this makes complete sense and i was you know reflecting back on my life thinking okay this is why i went to law school you know and this is why i put my head above the parapet in certain situations in the workplace and, mm. and and spoke up and called out bad behavior on behalf of like IMG colleagues and so on because like I can't not do it it's actually part of of me mm. you know um that thing where um you know like a, a stick of rock has has writing down down it. if you you know you look at a stick of rock if you cut me in half you know you'd mm. have the word justice and my other values kind of like running running yeah. through it. um
1: yeah ah great so yeah um
2: and then what happened was my my um my career took a a a, a deviation because we we came to live in australia my wife wanted to do a fellowship um so we actually came to live in darwin and and it was um in july 2019 so eight months before the pandemic kind of kicked off um Mm. and um you know i i had to resign from all of my posts you know they couldn't i mean Ostensibly, we we're only going to be away for a year, but obviously the pandemic happened, and you know no one foresaw that, so we ended up being away for a couple mm. of years in the end. But yeah, they couldn't. The organisations that I worked for at the time couldn't hold my job for for twelve months, so um, I just decided mm. I would I would do what I could. Um, I wasn't eligible to practice clinically in Australia because I hadn't been doing enough clinical work in the UK before we left. Mm-hmm. So I said to my wife, you know, I'll, I'll again, I'll find something to do, um, but I'll do my coach training. Um, I was very, sure. very kind of, um, yeah. you know, single-minded on that. I, I really want to do my coach training. Um, mm. And I reached out to someone I know, um, an executive at the um, Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management here in the UK, the FMLM. A woman mm-hmm. called Kirsten Armit, who's the COO. She was the COO. She's now the director of research. And I and I, I knew she was Australian. I was like, do you know anywhere I can do, you know, anywhere reputable I can do my coach training? Um, mm. And uh, she recommended the um, Australian Institute of Professional Coaches in Brisbane, Dr. Suzanne Knowles. Great. Um, and, that, yes. and, and that was it. The rest is history. I did my life leadership and executive coach training and uh, yeah. you know, came out the other end in September 2020. Um, and since then, I've been doing... You know, well-being stuff, um, burnout, um, careers coaching, stuff on workplace bullying, leadership coaching, kindness in the workplace, as, as you mentioned, uh, do training on these areas for healthcare and non-healthcare organizations in the public and, and corporate sectors. Um, I'm uh-huh. a public speaker now, I've kind of like started doing a bit of that and I, I did my first keynote in um, over the summer. Which was scary. Awesome. Um, and as you know, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> My um, podcast called "The Inspiring Women mm. Leaders." Um, I've created an online course with a, a colleague of mine. Okay. Um, on assertiveness, yeah. and uh, as you've seen this this week on LinkedIn, you know I'm a big workplace bullying advocate, um, and it's International Workplace Bullying um, Awareness Week this week. So I'm busy kind of you know helping raise awareness and doing kind of a- activism work on that. That front as well so yeah yeah, that's where i am now
1: (laughs) what are the changes you notice in doctors who have coaching
2: okay um that's a great question joe thanks thanks for asking i think um primarily i think it's them feeling heard you know um Mm. we're all so busy and you know and work is just you know yeah i coach i coach doctors in the states i've had um, a canadian client australian you know obviously british yeah. doctors and um although the problems are slightly different slightly nuanced really there's you know m- medicine globally is just going through an utter crisis and mm. um you know how many doctors actually have the time in their working day or or the energy in their evenings, you know, to kind of yes. to to sit down and actually just breathe and think and reflect and maybe journal and you know or, or talk to their other half who you know oftentimes is also a, a physician and is equally exhausted, mm-hmm. you know, and the, you know you know my wife's anything to go by, she's often dictating clinic notes into the evenings, and you know it's just so actually being given that space a safe space to just talk and be actively listened to that i mean i think that in itself is just worth the session fee for for most doctors you know so um that that is you know a wonderful wonderful benefit of coaching and and i think doctors benefit hugely from that but i mean in, in you know in the areas that i work in you know i've worked with Doctors who you know uh, maybe are in the marginalised groups, you know, who who are who are who are not empowered, you know, who have gone from being mm. shy to being more confident and assertive because assertiveness is one of the things I, I'm really passionate about and you know work mm-hmm. uh, work with people on. So they do develop that that, that confidence, self confidence, and assertiveness. With the career side of things, you know, <laughs> again, as you know, like lots of doctors at the moment are just so post pandemic they're just so cheesed off you know um Mm. and you know they just feel like swamped and lost and stuck these are the these are the words that i that i hear used you know um Mm -hmm. and you know they they're turning up to work but are they are they really showing up you know is there is presenteeism going on you know there's there's quiet quitting there's loud quitting you know um people are resigning They're moving country especially from the uk you know it's like an exodus to mm. to, mm-hmm. to canada and australia and new zealand so you know i have um right. you know doctors who feel very stuck um and you know i can provide them with stepwise strategies to move them forward in their professional lives so actually they kind of come mm. out the other side of, of working with me with a lot more clarity um you know, uh, in fact, I've got um, a client at the moment who's a, a plastic surgeon uh, in the UK who's did her, mm. did her fellowship in Australia, and and she's now a kind of a a, a, a junction. Really, it's like we really quite like the idea of going back to Australia, but I quite like the hospital I'm working in in the UK. You know, and so we're mm. we're working through um, the the decision making in in that. So it it's it can be really yeah. helpful. Um, mm. I think. You know, given that we are so kind of, you know, focused on our on our work and it's kind of all-consuming at times, and then any time and energy mm. we have left over is hope, hopefully for our for our partners and our families and so on, that our outlooks can be quite tunnel visioned. You know, I mean, you know, you you as a coach, I'm sure, will often use the wheel of life with your clients as well, and and you know that kind of looking at all of those segments that holistic approach to their life, you know, like someone with like with careers coaching, for example, they're not, they're not just their career, you know, They're so much more than mm. their job. But what, what are the other, you know, segments of the wheel that kind of in, impact on that, you know, this kind of family, friends, you know, relationships, social life, financial side mm. of things, you know, that people don't often think about, is something that's really useful sure. to go into with coaching, you know mm. um finding time for your hobbies, you know that work life balance thing um you know spirituality all of the all of these things they all kind of have a knock on effect on on the career and are in turn affected by your career so um mm. people come away with like, oh my goodness, it's like you've taken the the blinkers off, I can see this bigger picture now, you know, whereas before I was just yeah. seeing you know, my job and and how it was sort of, you know, getting me down. Um mm. and again, going back to the values thing, I'm very, you know, ha- I'm a real convert in, in kind of um values, values led work. And mm. for me I gained a huge appreciation um of, of doing work on my core values. So um you know often a lot of doctors don't think about what their values are. You know, mm. so they gain yeah. this new insight into their values and and then it's like well why don't you look at the situation through the lens of your values you know what would someone Mm. who is gratitude led do what what would be Mm. your their decision in this situation um sure so yeah um yeah it's yeah it's (laughs) life-changing um I don't think that's over, over-egging the pudding to say that, you know, the, and the, the gift of coaching yeah. is one that just keeps on giving because once you know about coaching processes, you can apply them to other aspects of your life and then you can, you know, you have a problem later on down the road, you can always kind of come back to like, oh, what, you know, were those techniques that I learned in coaching.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think some really great points you you pick up on there. Like you started off by saying uh for you for you it was a space where you felt heard or you felt like listened to and really what do we do generally all day if we're in healthcare we are listening to others the whole time. Yeah. And um yeah hearing what's going on for them and then yeah getting home you know it's a different of course it's a different relationship to our closest and nearest to us at home and it's that sort of non-judgmental non-opinionated no advice space generally that we're in in that coaching space um so I think the sort of being able to be heard um I see my clients faces change through a coaching session from often being quite drawn at the beginning to you know a much lighter version of themselves and that's that's just in a shorter session there. And then I also yeah. heard you talk about sort of that um, uh, that sort of factory system that we're in or the, the channel, the train line that we get on, when we get on uh, maybe even with our exam prep for med school and then you're on it and then you stay yeah. on it. And, yeah. you know, these other parts of you which are probably quite flourishing and so forth as you're demonstrating your multi-talent your multi-skilled ta- um, talents and these different varieties of hobbies or sports that you play, mm. there's just not always so much left 10 or 15 years down the line in your career, in one's career.
2: That's very true. That, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Think of all all the things that you, um, you know, the kind of skills and competencies and interests that you had to demonstrate on your medical school application form. Mm. Um, and then you're right, that, you know, you're really talented, sports person or musician or actor you know and it just falls by the wayside doesn't it you know with the, mm. the kind of yeah. busy busyness of of life um yeah and, and then and then you know that concept of, of a rival fallacy comes in mm-hmm. quite frequently with careers you know you, you kind of like you accept you accept that you know when you're a an intern or, or an SHO, an RMO, whatever that, you know, is busy, I've got my exams, but it'd be fine when I'm a registrar and I've done my exams, you know, life will be a lot better, a lot quieter um, and I'll be able to kind mm. of go back to those, those things that I loved. And then you, you know, reach those dizzy heights of being a registrar and it's like, oh, actually it's just as busy and just as bad, but in a slightly different way um but yeah. it'll be fine when i'm a consultant you know when I'm a consultant I'll be able to you know kind of like plan my own job and you know it'll mm. be it'll be great um and the number of you know kind of youngish consultants i've worked with who are like yeah it's uh, it's worse um i thought it would be better <laughs> but it's not oh um.
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah it begs the question when when's the ideal t- time to start coaching if you're in a medical career
2: that's a great question. As, as early as possible, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. <laughs> give you, give you I mean, we techniques. know that burnouts,
1: uh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. in Australia, certainly, and maybe um, from the US, the stats are up to 50% of students getting burnout in med school. So if coaching yeah. can help with that at the resident level, then maybe it would be worthwhile considering yeah. earlier as well.
2: Yeah.
1: So well, let's I, hear about I, some pivotal. Go on. Mm-hmm.
2: I was just going to say, having, having said that, um you know about medical students um i was actually one of the tutors on a on an ssm a special study module at at nottingham med school um last mm-hmm. year and i yeah, did right. i did a workshop on on burnout with i mean there are only about 10 students who chose that that particular elective um but yeah i yeah. did a workshop i did leadership stuff with them but i did a workshop on burnout with them as well and uh mm. yeah you you're so you're so right i I was, when I was doing the research for it, I was quite astonished at the number of Mm. med students who were suffering from burnout. Um, Mm. so, uh, it's never, it's never too early to start coaching. No, You're right.
1: No, I agree. Yeah. So would you like to share with us some pivotal moments in your career that have brought you to where you are and what you do today?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I, I tend generally to try to s- stick to coaching in areas that I have lived experience of because I just think that I can mm-hmm. um you know bring my you know my authentic self to to the sessions more so in those in those kind of areas. Um so you know I was um I, I was a target of um bullying as a junior surgeon and then as a as a junior GP um And, Mm. you know, was was on the receiving end of that, um, you know, very bad leadership, essentially. What, you know, what I now with, you know, what I know about what would constitute good leadership was actually, you know, Mm. very bad leadership. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of, I had those experiences in sort of, I think kind of, well, yeah, two. the early the early noughties sort of between 2002 and and 2005 and then again in in 2008 when i was a a newly qualified gp um but i guess Mm -hmm. i just you know kind of kept my head down and just tried to suppress them and then when um when we moved to darwin as i as i mentioned before and i actually did get Mm -hmm. some work with um the local medical school so um flinders in adelaide has a a satellite branch um in darwin um and they have mature med students so they have these gem students graduate entry medical students there and i was taken on by the um younger program which is a program to um be a personal tutor for um indigenous um mature medical students and so i had uh-huh. six um tutees over the sort of 18 months that we were there um and they were all uh, they were all young women um they'd had previous careers um often had families children um yeah one of my one of my tutees was actually um a single mom of, of three kids and you know Trying to get her way through medical school as well, like I mean, really yeah. incredible, impressive women. Um, but mm-hmm. a couple of them um, had experiences of being bullied by by consultants or registrars on some of the yeah. um, teams that they were attached to. And so, when they were kind of asking me for advice in the capacity as their tutor, their personal tutor, um, you know, it kind of brought a lot of my memories flooding back to me from, um, you know, when I was a junior trainee um mm. and then um i don't do you um do you know dr rachel morris uh whose podcast is you are not a frog um i don't really, it's a really no. big, yeah she's a really it's a really big podcast here in in the uk for for doctors and, and rachel's been mm-hmm. running this podcast for for years now um and I, I'd been on uh, as a guest on her podcast um, a couple of years before talking about career career transitions and portfolio careers and so on. And yeah. um, then we got to talking about, you know, workplace bullying stuff. And she said, will you come on the show and talk about that? So I think that was when it really mm. uh, all started for me, which was about of October 2020. It was the first time I'd gone on and spoken openly about my experiences and, mm. you know, what had triggered you know, the, me reflecting on them again, and I just thought, mm-hmm. you know, these these poor med students. You know, they're just they're they're trying their best, but you know, I don't know what's going on. You know, is it is it racial stuff because they're indigenous? Is it misogyny and and sexism, gender stuff because they're women? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it just you know made me. It was it was it, it was one of the pivotal moments for me deciding to you know become more vocal about workplace bullying and 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 create like an offering for for people who had been targets or victims of workplace bullying Um, Mm -hmm. because i just Mm -hmm. thought there's there's nothing really out there for for people um and i just thought you know if 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 i experienced it as a privileged white male you know how much worse Mm -hmm. must it be for our img colleagues you know and our female Mm -hmm. colleagues and so on so that yes. was certainly um pivotal um in terms of um burnout we'll, we'll come back to burnout, I think won't we but um for me, mm-hmm. like my experience of burnout are definitely where my passion for kind of workplace well being um training and, and coaching comes in um so yeah, that great you know again is is a, is a sort of a pivotal thing um you know my career transitions are are many <laughs> you know um, yeah. within medicine and then and then out of medicine you know pathology surgery gp medical defense mm. union law yeah. leadership coaching so i i definitely feel like i could speak with um with some authority about you know career transitions and career diversification um sure. portfolio careers and so on so that that you know is kind of being very pivotal for me Um, And then the leadership journey, you know, kind of being on the receiving end of bad leadership and then going into leadership roles and actually being woefully underqualified and underprepared in my first leadership role, really steep Mm. learning curve, you know, you know, quite, quite happy to say I did, you know, kind of put a few noses out of joint because I just wasn't, you know, The kind of leader that I know that I could be now you know if only we could Mm -hmm. go back with the knowledge that we have now right sure Um, yeah yeah (laughs) um so yeah so so my leadership journey um has definitely inspired me to want to help physicians to become better leaders and to change cultures Mm. within organizations which obviously has a knock-on effect to help with the workplace bullying side of things um
1: yes and I think
2: the podcast which is you know, called Inspiring Women Leaders, which is, you know, it is a podcast um, where I interview female guests, but it's for it's for everyone to learn from their experiences. You know, mm-hmm. it comes from a place of uh, reflection um, where I realized that most of the really good leaders that I'd worked with in my career were women and mm-hmm. I mean yeah. I'm not saying I haven't been bullied by um, a woman um, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. know most mostly it was the men who were not very good leaders and I just thought you know this we need to we need to spread the gospel about this you know we need to get this out there mm-hmm. and share these the, the brilliance of these women so again yeah. that kind of comes from my my career experience
1: great yeah wow Well, thanks for sharing all of that. And um, yeah, maybe another time I can bring you on again, and we'll talk more in depth about um, the workplace bullying. Because, yeah, I think that's um, not so often talked about. And you've obviously spent your time and had your thoughts about why and how you want to communicate that more. And let's pause that because we haven't necessarily prepped that up for today and and another time we could um reconnect on the podcast and talk about that so tell us a bit about your experience in burnout you said you've experienced that previously what did you notice in yourself did anybody else make comment about what they might have noticed in you and how did you recover from it
2: yeah um thanks thanks joe yeah it was um there were a couple of um situations that i can recall quite clearly one was when I was a a junior surgical trainee a senior house officer um in a local hospital and I'd been qualified about three or four years by that stage Mm -hmm. um and um yeah it was a it was a funny time because I it was the first job I had where I had um like house officers interns of my own um so I you know never really had responsibility for um you know kind of like you know, supervising and and looking after them. So, um, you know, I think that was a a bit, a bit more stressful. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a time when the on calls that we were doing were ridiculous. You know, 20 years ago we were doing, we'd go in eight in the morning and you'd work all day and then all night and then all the next day. Um, Mm. it was a busy unit. So I'd be uh, every you know we had an on-call room to rest in but every time I would put my head down my bleep would go off uh, you know and I'd be literally up and down all all night long um yeah. so you know understandably I was I was shattered and exhausted most of the time um mm. and then go, going home it was hard to escape work because I was prepping for my uh, you know my member of the royal college of surgeons exams you know so right. there was yeah. revision and study to do in the evenings as well so you couldn't you couldn't escape work um and i was just very negative um in my mindset about uh work um, about my job and my you know potential future as a surgeon um mm. and i think i was quite distant you know um nowadays we would call it presenteeism but we didn't have that term 20 years ago. So I was, I was turning up, but not showing up, you know? Yeah. Um, Yep. And, you know, my, my bosses did, they definitely noticed that. Um, They got feedback from my, uh, my house officers um, that, that that's how I, how I was. Um, Mm. My wife noticed that my, my mood was, was, um, you know, uh, negative. Um, Mm. So, you know, I had that, I had those, those sort of, um, features during that episode. And then four or five years later, when I was, um, finishing off my my last few months as a GP registrar, uh, I was, I was struggling, but in a, in a different way, the, um, I worked in a a sort of gritty inner city GP surgery and, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the patient demands were, were really sky high, you know, their expectations were, you know, really, really high and um it was a very socio economically deprived area, you know, lots mm. of um lots of morbidity, lots of sort of you know, substance misuse and things like that. It was a really mm-hmm. um you know, so you'd get patients coming in and kind of kicking off if you didn't prescribe them exactly yeah. what they wanted and, you know, that kind right. of thing. And and I just, I was very cynical, you know. I was kind of very, very cynical about work. Um, you know, quite disinterested, like not, not wanting to go in really.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, dreading the days when I was going to be on call. Um, very much yeah. lacking empathy, you know. Just like mm-hmm. someone would come through the door, and I'd, I'd be just like, you know, I don't even want to talk to you. You know, I wouldn't. That was my inner monologue. You know, I, I, I was just yeah. thinking. I, I just want you to you know get what you need from me what you want from me and then get out of the room you know mm, um yeah and I, I was very i was inefficient i was regularly running behind i was regularly in and at least an hour behind in my clinics yeah and you know that obviously had a knock-on effect people would then come in shouting at me because i was yeah i kept them waiting and i just yeah. felt like um tsunami I, I the way you know I, I felt and I visualized it I suppose was like a tsunami of work and patient demands was like hitting me and mm. I just had to sit there let the tsunami hit me kind of and then go over me and then I just had to have a moment of calm before the next tsunami came yeah um right. so I would after a patient had left I'd take a couple of minutes you know between every patient and just try and you know regroup um so yeah so mm-hmm. it was a it was, they, they were both difficult times um it you know and again um i don't think that was it's interesting they they obviously the the people at my colleagues in the in the gp surgery would have noticed that i was running behind my gp trainer would have noticed yeah. but it didn't really sort of say anything they just tried to support and were you know tried to be encouraging yeah. um again my and, other half knew know? that things yeah. weren't right
1: do you remember anything about workplace bullying in either of those scenarios? I think you mentioned something about that before in, in some of your times. Do you think that was a contributor to yeah to experiencing burnout then?
2: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And and thanks for bringing that up. Um, I I now know and and the kind of the the when I do workshops um, on burnout and when I coach individuals on burnout, I I always raise this because I on reflection personally feel that you know experiencing workplace bullying is a risk factor and a sort of contributory factor for burnout mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so you know and and actually just kind of like working in a, within a toxic environment um yeah. and a you know a, a dysfunctional toxic um culture where you're not in alignment with the values of the organization
1: you yes, know, it's very it's yeah. very
2: triggering and very exhausting. You know, you're swimming against mm. the tide all the time. Yeah, it's just shattering. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, Some for of sure. Those psychosocial.
1: Um, do you talk about psychosocial risk factors ever? That's a bit of a term that's been bounced around more this yeah. year in Australia. I'd say.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, I think we we uh, you know we attribute a lot of it to. Um, you know, chronic stress from the workload and obviously moral injury Mm -hmm. is a really important Mm -hmm. piece as well that, uh, Mm -hmm. for me is a big contributory factor, but yeah, workplace bullying as well. But, and, and, and as you say, I was, um, in the, the first situation in the surgical job, I was, I was being bullied by two of my three consultants in that job. And, Mm. um, there was no way that wasn't getting to me, you know, of course that was having Mm. an impact, um, Mm. in the, the, GP the GP job not so much they were they were more supportive when i was um, a trainee in general practice but mm. yeah um, i so what was you your recovery
1: about- strategy? Yeah. yeah, like what were you doing then? Because yeah. burnout in 2002, 2003, yeah. I mean, it was certainly uh, defined and there's that like pivotal sort of 1975 work, but I never heard that come through in med school or for a number of years since no. then. No. And we're not too different different vintage with med school from what I can work out. So, you know, what did you yeah. do? Was it like walking off the job in surgery and changing tack and doing something <laughs> different or, you know, what worked?
2: it's um it's difficult being a being a professional and and uh i don't want to you know make physicians sound any more special than than any other professional uh you we've all invested a lot by that stage
0: mm-hmm. um mm-hmm.
2: both you know professionally and personally uh, it mm-hmm. all comes at a cost um to pursue your medical career and do the exams and and climb up the hierarchy um mm-hmm. And you miss out on a lot of times with your family and um, and your your partner and so on. And you invest a lot of money in the exams and the courses. And so it's very hard to walk away, you know, um, because you just see it as well. I've wasted all of that time and I've wasted mm-hmm. all of that money, and you know, all of those arguments that I had with my other half when I wasn't around. You know, it's all away, it's all for nothing if I if I walk away mm-hmm. from this now. Uh, I think doctors are mm-hmm. really bad at walking away from things, um, even when the alarm bells are ringing really loudly in in our ears.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so yeah, no, I I didn't. I just you know got through the job as best I could. One of my three consultants was kind and sympathetic and wrote me a good reference for my next job, and um, you know I just I just carried on and limped limped along until. Uh, uh, you know at some point I after a few years I was like this I can't do this anymore um I think yeah. family medicine will be more um you know a better better life balance for me but mm-hmm. you know as you say um 20 years ago I I hadn't really heard of the phenomenon of burnout it as you say mm-hmm. was not something we were told about or taught at uh, medical school if you know it maybe wasn't um accepted so much by the establishment then because it wasn't a formal yeah. world health organization diagnosis it wasn't in the icd-11 sure. or you know or yes. equivalent back then in 20 years um yeah. so uh you know it wasn't it wasn't a thing you know and and as on my training program on my gp training program it wasn't it wasn't ever spoken about either you know it was just work stress mm. i suppose you know work related mm. stress um so yeah how do you recover from something where you don't really know what's going on? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Very, very inefficiently. I would say I recovered very inefficiently. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, we, 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 we didn't speak about it. We didn't know what it was. We didn't talk to each other. Uh, Doctors again, are very bad at um, admitting and acknowledging that they've got any problems or any weaknesses, uh, let alone Mm -hmm. speak to colleagues about them. Um, you know, we didn't have social media like we do now. Like, you know, I'm posting about workplace bullying this week. Um, you know, it just wasn't. I wasn't on LinkedIn then. You know, um, it, it just wasn't yeah. something that was in our um, w- within our eyesight, really. I suppose so. I just, mm. I, I suppose, I just rested when I when I needed to. I, I leaned into the support of my GP trainer, certainly in that that second episode in 2008. Uh, My my trainer was very, very lovely. I had great Mm -hmm. support from my other half and my family and friends. And I think that if I, you know, now obviously you and I would have a very uh, well um, kind of uh, thought out system for how we can help people with this problem. But, Mm. you know, if I think about the things that we would use now, the wellbeing techniques that we just take for granted – that mm. i would advise people about now but it wasn't a formal system you know back fifteen yep. twenty 15 20 years ago you know sure. i guess you know i did you know use my use my relationships i did i did rest i did um maintain my connections a lot you know with mm-hmm. my friends yeah. uh and family I, I i kind of really um use them as a resource. I exercise, I was mm. exercising a lot more then. I had a personal trainer at the time mm-hmm. um, at the gym. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I looked after myself. I probably, I probably ate better than I do now that I have two young ones. Cause um, mm. you know, I c- cook nice food for them, but I, I kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll eat later on and stuff like that. I probably yeah. wasn't as, um, uh, you know, you know what it's like with the, with the little ones. So things yeah. like mindfulness, yeah. you know, didn't, didn't mm. really know about mindfulness and, and similar sure. practices back yeah. then, you know. So mm. I I did not manage it well, but I think that was just par for the course in those days, you know.
1: With what you knew in that time then. Yeah. 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 Okay. Hmm. And so it sounds like you're, you, you've got... You've learned more along the way. You've got more well-being strategies that not only do you teach, but you're aware of yourself. And I am curious also, do you see that there's some intentional like burnout prevention um, at this stage or do you feel your career is so different that it's not a risk?
2: Um I I definitely wouldn't say that.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is it the person um, <laughs> behind the uh, career title that is the commonality here? Um mm.
2: well oh well that's an interesting point. I need to go away and reflect on that. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I think um being an entrepreneur, you know, or being a solopreneur, uh, mm-hmm. there's always that high risk of burnout um yeah. because mm-hmm there were, there were just, you know, you have to be really bounded Um, and I, I find that, you know, I, I kind of do a lot more of the sort of things with the, the girls when my wife's at work. So, you know, I'll do a few, a few more of the school, school runs and things like that. And my working day is mm-hmm. usually between, you know, drop off and pick up time. Yeah. Um, and if I'm, I'm the one that's working from home. So when, you know, things need to be you know, delivered or collected or whatever, or someone needs to come around to do some painting, you know, I'm the, I'm the one that gets sort of disrupted, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. at home. And then I try sure. to then recoup those hours in the evening after my kids have gone to bed, you know, so then I'll start again at nine o'clock, maybe for an hour, maybe two hours. You know, sometimes I'll do a coaching session with a client in the States at nine till 10 p.m. Yeah. And then I right. come off that yeah. and I'm totally, I'm buzzing, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I can't get to sleep for ages. Then, and so then I'm I'm tired the next day. So uh, it's it's different. It's totally different. Um, but the risks are are still there. But as you say, mm-hmm. um, I do have a um, you know the the ammunition now. I have you know I have a toolkit um, that I can I can turn to, and I do you know I do make sure that I go to the gym or go for a walk and i do you know try to look after myself a lot better um mm. i'm very mi- i'm very mindful of the risks you know having burnt yeah. out all those years ago so
1: yeah yeah great great okay so tell us a little bit about your work um to promote kind leadership cultures in immediate teams and wider organizations tell us a bit more about that that sounds great
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love, I love that, um, part of my work. Um, really it, it came out of the need that I had to get my message about workplace bullying out there. Um, right. you know, uh, you know, when I kind of had finished my coach training and, you know, I'd had those tutees, um, kind of tell me about their experiences and, yeah. You know, I was reflecting on my experiences, and then going on on Rachel Morris's podcast and talking about them. Uh, it was then that I was like, I need to, you know, I need to try and raise awareness of this and and do something about it, and create an an offer for people to uh, come to me so I can support them, and for organisations that I can I can help them with their because um, we we know that pretty much every organisation has a workplace bullying problem of, you know, one magnitude or another. So it might be that right. it's just rife in the organization because the organizational culture is horrendous. Um, mm. And so it's just pervasive because it mm-hmm. maybe it comes from the top. Maybe there's a really toxic CEO or something like that. But mm. it might be that there are just pockets of it, you know, and it's just within a, within a, a particular team someone that their team leader is a bully or a colleague is a bully or something like that, you know, but there are Mm -hmm. almost certainly every organization has it. So yeah, you would, you would kind of think that, you know, knowing what we know, that how it affects productivity, how it affects, you know, client relationships, how it affects the the company's profits and all of this, Mm -hmm. that it'd be a good thing to kind of do something about. But right. Going out there as I did initially, very naively saying, Oh, you know, I have an interest and some expertise in, in helping individuals and organizations with workplace bullying. You know, that obviously was met with, you know, tumbleweeds that went down like a a lead balloon. Um, because no organization wants to acknowledge or admit Mm -hmm. that they have workplace bullying in their, in their organization, you know? So I had to, I had to change my approach. Right. You know, so for me i see kindness at work kindness uh you know kind of leadership cultures as uh, and and workplace bullying itself as two sides of the same coin you know mm-hmm. so obviously you've got you know the people who are often at the call face you know on the shop floor who are on the receiving end of the toxic negative culture either from their immediate mm-hmm. boss or from the wider the wider organisation um mm-hmm. but they they need they need help. You know, the individuals who are the targets need help. Yes. But then that's fine. But um how are you ever gonna kind of create any change, any meaningful change that's gonna help the next yeah. generation? Because we know it's gonna take you know, these things happen at quite a glacial pace. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, you need to be instituting and implementing, you know, kinda cultures at the executive leadership team level sure yes and you know getting good good role modeling from from the the c suite and that you know that behavior will trickle down people will see the kindness and it will kind mm. of permeate throughout the organization but as i said that takes a long time so you know the two sides of the same coin are the two approaches one is the kind of individualistic approach and one is the systemic approach yeah mm-hmm. um but you know so it you know event eventually hopefully you won't need to um you know use the individualistic approach because
1: yeah
2: the culture will be mm-hmm. kind throughout yes but you yes. know um while that's ha- while that's happening you know you need to you need, still need to have a two-pronged approach so mm. and that's kind of where it yeah. came from but then the more i started looking into it you know and the benefit the benefits of kindness um and you know, on on the on the individual, on on the person, on the person, you know, giving the kindness, the person receiving the kindness, the benefits mm. of the team, the benefits of the wider organization. You know, I'm talking things like you know, health benefits as well as kind of like you know, the bottom line of the organization and and uh, yeah. you know, uh, profits and 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 so on. It was just like this is this is too great a concept to not you know, kind of push and and, um, and use. So that's, you know, since then I've started to really, you know, do a lot more talks about and, and, and you know, kind of sp- uh, speaking gigs about kindness, um, the benefits mm. of kindness at work and so on. And
1: so an example of how that might look or what you might invite your audi- audience to do, what would be the sort of mm. actions that you would invite them to Do differently is that is that where you might start or something you might contribute there?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I mean, as I say, it has to be kind of you know across the entire organisation, um So that you know you can you know people in the sort of lower echelons of an organisation can see the senior Mm. leaders and and the executives kind of demonstrating this. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I think the first thing to say is that. like with a lot of concepts like Mm -hmm. leadership like kindness like care like forgiveness it all begins with the self
1: Mm, you know mm, so i always sort of
2: talk about you know you you know being kind to yourself is so so important you know um and as you kind of being compassionate to yourself being forgiving to yourself giving yourself treats mm. you know all these all these sorts of things you know not not mm. you know trying to hush the the inner critic when you do something wrong yeah. you know and as as you know the inner critic will go into overdrive and create these limiting beliefs trying to really yes. you know yeah you know, with whatever whatever techniques you want to use you know gratitude practice you know things that went well, affirmations, whatever it is to try mm. and overcome that that um, yeah. negative self talk. Mm. But but very much yeah. kind to yourself, and then like you know you you are then leading by example. Cause if you're kind to yourself, you you know other people will be kind to themselves. You can then be kind to others. You realise what the benefits of kindness are. Um, yeah. But a lot of it is you know there's a you know I I often ask people what do you what do you think you could do at work that mm. would demonstrate some kindness but a, a, a lot of it in kind of painting in broad strokes is people want to be recognized you know people want that kind of like yep. that recognition they want yep. to not be overlooked and dismissed and um ignored even i know you know I, and this is very for me something with um with img doctors and um uh, like uh, SAS doctors, special, specialist and associate specialist doctors mm. in the UK, which used to be called staff grade doctors. You know, they're the non-consultant mm-hmm. grade doctors. Very much like, yeah. their opinions don't matter. You know, um, mm. and they have so much, so much to give. So mm. recognize people, um, recognize their their contributions, their skills. Pay yes. pay people compliments. You know, mm. and we know that kind of like giving people compliments is actually so much better for us personally on our health than yeah. receiving compliments.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, it, you know, it kind of engenders that, um, that connection, like to, for me to pay you a compliment about your cooking skills, mm-hmm. I need to, um, be on the receiving end of your cooking skills. So (laughs) I need to, you know, come around to your house for dinner and, uh, you know, see what effort you've put in and see, you know, how you cook and and what you like to do. And then I can uh, very specifically say, you know, I really love the way you, you know, Mm. did those potatoes. And they have had potatoes like that, really, Mm. you know, beautiful, uh, fantastic. You know, Mm. so it means that you have to get to know someone. And by virtue of just being at your house for dinner, we're chatting about general stuff anyway. I've got to know you better. Yeah. So that in itself is just wonderful for well-being, right? Yes. And and praise, you know, and and you know, it doesn't have to. The thing is, people think it has to be a big thing, you know, it has to be some kind of, you know, you know, recognition, like you know, like McDonald's, you know, kind of employee of the employee of the week or whatever, you know, or employee of the month and on the little. It's Mm. like it it doesn't have to be that. It just has to be your boss or your or a colleague saying to you, you know, I really like what you did there you know that was great the way you the way you handle that situation or you know the way you handle that that customer i was you know spot on um and it just makes you it makes you feel wonderful um Mm. so just showing taking an interest showing that care and 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 being compassionate as well um yeah just kind of leading leading with love leading with kindness um but there's a lot lots of examples you know that that people give me you know um just little things like uh, if if, uh GPs will say uh, if a receptionist has kind of like helped them out with a, a tricky patient or something like that, they'll then just kind of bring them a little box of chocolates or something like that, And just, just a little token thing, you know. Um, yeah. And and then they're like, oh, that's you know, that's wonderful. I feel I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel recognised. Um, yeah. You know. And then <clears throat> the way that then spreads as a ripple in the in the organisation, you know, throughout the the culture is that we mm. we pay it forward. Yeah, you know, you notice it. You know, people will notice it. If you drive, if you're driving along, and someone um, gives way and, le- and lets you in, mm. you're like, yeah. "Oh, that's so nice!" Like there's yeah. so many selfish yeah, drivers yeah. these days. That was really, really nice mm. that that person. Mm. Do you know what? And then, then you see someone else waiting to get in, and you're like, "Oh, I'll let them in." Yeah, it just make, it yeah. makes you more likely right. to do it. Yeah. Um, So good. And you feel good about it. And on
1: it goes. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. No, I love that, um, recognition of skills, attributes, strengths, qualities that somebody brings to an organization. Mm. And it's an icebreaker that I often use when, um, giving a, a presentation to a team or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm, Really good. Okay. Well, look, we're, we're closing out now, Adam. Thanks so much for, um, you know illustrating how that kind leadership culture can um you know be pervasive in an in an organization and different approaches to doing that what would you say is the favorite part about your career now
2: <laughs> oh well you know what you know, we talked we talked about you know it is it is it is a risk risk of of, of burning out being a solopreneur but uh, there is hmm. the positives far, far outweigh Um, the risks to be honest so you know I had I feel like I have time to do my job really well compared to when I was a a Mm. GP for example you know right you know I get I get at least an hour with people if I'm doing a one-to-one session or you know group coaching sessions again it's like at least an hour and, and and you know try to involve everyone and um but you know you really just get that opportunity for people to get things off their chest you don't feel hurried uh, you don't yes. feel stressed while you're doing it. It's, it's, it's really lovely. And it's part of a longer term thing, you know, you, you, you know, you've got future sessions with people and it's like, you don't mm. have to sort it all out there. And then
0: yeah. it's like, okay,
2: yeah, sure. that's great. Let's let let, let this percolate. And, and we'll talk about this in the next session, you know, and mm. uh, so it's, yeah. it's, it's really wonderful. And um, I know that that clients benefit from having that that kind of like long, you know, longer time to be heard and more Mm. time between sessions to kind of reflect on things. So I really feel like I'm making a difference. I mean, you know, I've got, you know, I, I've got some really good feedback, really good testimonials, you know, on my website and on, on LinkedIn, people clearly appreciate, you know, that kind, um, you know, approach coming from a a place of, you know, unconditional positive regard, you know, that we, that we learn about our coaching school. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I love being able to learn about stuff, just what I, what I want to learn about, you know, I'm not prepping for an mm-hmm. exam or something like that, you know, so I've, I've learned about, yep. you know, well being stuff, positive psychology, neuroscience, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the impact of, of, of neuroscience on people, um, yes. learn a lot more about bullying, learn a lot more about myself, you know, um, yes. again, you know, going back to the values piece, um, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's great for kind of continued learning. Um I feel like as I am separate from an organization now that I can be a much mm-hmm. better advocate. So I can say things.
1: Yeah, right. I can
2: sp- speak out, you know, that I notice in a very very kind and diplomatic way, but mm. the kind of thing that if you if you're an employee and you said something like that that might have repercussions, you know.
1: Right. And yeah,
2: because I do it in lo- in a way that's in line with my values, if if the people that I'm speaking to don't like it and they, you know, there's a bit of a backlash. I I can then just say, Do you know what? They weren't my tribe. I don't need to work yeah. with these people again. You know, mm-hmm. I've done what I can to help their employees. If they don't like it, you know, what, uh, what can I do? But I'm not forced to then go back to that workplace day after day with that kind of awkwardness and, and sure. so on, you know. I can work sure. with people who are in alignment with me, you know. Um, and yeah. just having the flexibility, you know, I've alluded to before, the the flexibility to be able to help out more with my kids so that my wife can do her job without worrying um, mm. and just to be able to go and see their shows, you know, during the school day and, and, and you know, yeah. recitals that they're in and, and so on. Um, so I plan my diary, Um, And, yeah, that's it's a wonderful thing.
1: That's great. Yeah, so good to hear. Yeah, fantastic. And let's round out with my question I ask everybody. What is one self-care routine (laughs) that you rarely miss?
2: (laughs) I would say it's my gratitude practice.
1: Right, yeah. So
2: Mm -hmm. my personal gratitude practice, you know, is um, certainly – I mean, I – I do I do journal um sometimes but it's a kind of a t- a, a time a time thing um you mm-hmm. know I so I I often listen to um gratitude affirmations on Spotify as I'm driving driving back from the mm. school run you know first thing yeah, in, right. first thing in the morning I will actually get up and and if I if I'm not too foggy headed and I remember you know I'll kind of thank thank God, thank the universe, you know, for kind of getting me through another night. I've lived through the night, mm. you know, I'm up. Mm. I've got another opportunity to, to make a difference with the yeah. day ahead. You know, uh, yes. it's exciting what could happen. I'm grateful for that, you know. Um, yeah. And yeah, as I say, I, 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 I repeat a lot of the the gratitude affirmations that I listen to. Um, mm. And sometimes I'll, you know, write some stuff during the day or uh, listen to them again at bedtime. You know, I've actually got a, yeah, a, get a go-to couple of recordings my morning and evening gratitude affirmations that I listen to great. as well so um yeah, yeah I just feel that just makes me feel much more positive um and um yeah it's yeah it's a great thing I think but
1: that's wonderful and it sounds like it's sort of factored into different times in your day. So it could be the morning, it could be coming home from the school run, it could be the yeah. evening, it might be all of them, it might be one of them, but there are yeah. spots where exactly. I can drop in. Yeah, really good. Exactly. Yeah. Adam, it's yeah, been totally. an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today i've really enjoyed and learned so much from you and i'm sure my audience will be really inspired by what they've heard where can we find you uh, where do you hang out uh so that we can we can listen to you on your podcast etc yeah
2: yeah absolutely so yeah my my, my podcast um, inspiring women leaders which um i'll obviously send you the uh, the link to but it's it's on all the it's on all the platforms mm-hmm. um apple google spotify amazon audible all of, all of them um yeah and that episodes come out every every two weeks um great so uh there's that and linkedin i'm 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 pretty active on linkedin i'd say of all the of all the platforms so i'm just mm. uh dr D. R., um adam harrison on linkedin um sure. yeah pretty easy to find uh, my website um is com. so um great but i that needs that needs a bit of work but <laughs> we won't go there <laughs> sure sure
1: well we'll put some links in the show notes for you is there anywhere else as well
2: uh yeah i mean uh i have a facebook page and a youtube channel and instagram account and all all, all the things uh, that you have to have these days um as a a modern business person so
1: sure yeah great good stuff any final words that you want to offer
2: yeah thank you so much yeah so I, i think really uh just a couple of things that are really important to me um there will there will undoubtedly be Because of the prevalence of it, there will undoubtedly be um, people listening to this that um, have been on the receiving end of workplace bullying, if not currently um, experiencing it. So, I just want people to know my little my little mantra is uh, just remember it isn't your fault. Okay, it's not your fault that that this is happening to you. You're not alone, even though you feel like you are alone. There's so many of us that have experienced it that you know there's if you reach out to someone it's almost certain that they've experienced it as well and that they can they can support you and then the other thing is you've got no reason to feel ashamed because that's one of the big things you know people feel like it's that is their fault and uh it's, it's a shameful thing you know that they can't they can't talk about it but there's no reason to feel ashamed you know um it's um it is just one of the really terrible epidemics in the workplace um so, so there's, there's that. And then I just want to share one of my favorite quotes of the moment, um, which is um, by Rabbi Harold Kushner, who's um, a rabbi in New York. And he says, do things for people, not because of who they are, or what they do in return, but because of who you are. So that's my kind of my, in my kindness oh. talks. I, I, always, I always put that yeah. quote at the end.
1: That's great. What a great note <laughs> to finish on. Thank you so much, Adam really great to connect. Take care and we will be in touch again soon. Thanks very much. Bye.
2: Thank
0: you so much for having me. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Burnout Recovery Podcast. If there's someone in your world who would also benefit from this, please share it with them. Remember, you're not alone and there is hope for a brighter, more fulfilling future. Let's continue this journey together one episode at a time. For more resources, including how to move from dread to delight, head to drjoebraid.com.